Uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, trying to be faithful, faithfully preaching the book of Ephesians together. And, and so we're still there, Ephesians 6, verse 16, uh, this morning. I have no doubt at one point I'm going to say verse 15. It's what I've been doing all week when I study, thinking it's verse 15. It's not. It's 16 is where we're at. So you can look there, Ephesians 6, verse 16. We're in the armor of God. And it says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So we get to the shield of faith, and we'll be looking at this word uh, faith here. But what Paul does there at the beginning is you notice he says, in all circumstances, in all circumstances, or uh, some versions, King James Version, I believe, says above all. Another one says in addition to. And I think that's what Paul is trying to get across here. Is he's saying, now in addition to everything else that we've been talking about so far, all of this other armor that we've already looked at, now also take up this shield of faith. And it's interesting because there seems to be like a little break in Scripture here. Uh, because with the rest of the armor, you'll notice Paul would say like, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And now he starts to say, take up. It's different here. Take up the shield of faith. Take up the helmet of salvation. Take up the sword of the truth. And it, it makes it feel almost immediate, like, like there's some urgency here with these next three articles of clothing. I can't remember who it was that I was reading, but kind of said it in a way of like a soldier. It wouldn't be odd to see them with their shoes on. It wouldn't be odd to see them with the, their breastplate on just normally, right? To have their belt on just normally, even when they're sitting around and talking. But when all of a sudden somebody comes into the camp and says, hey, we got to go. We're getting attacked. What do they grab? They grab their shield. They grab their helmet. They grab their sword because they probably weren't wearing those as they sat there and were talking to each other. And so now as the battle is going, these are things that we seem to, to take up. Let's, let's take these things up. Now, it doesn't mean that Faith, salvation, and the word of God are any less important than the things we already looked at. Because again, what Paul's saying here is he's saying, in addition to all these things, now, now faith, grab that shield of faith and let's go. Well, it's important, just like with the other words, to say, what is faith? What is, what is being talked about here? What is Paul describing when he says faith? Because again, this is another one of those words that anybody who's been in church any amount of time knows to say this word. Use the word faith. Well, you have your faith and I have my faith. Has anybody ever said that to you before? Like, what do you mean? I don't need, you have to explain what are you talking about? Because I don't always know what someone's talking about. Just using the word faith isn't enough. I need to know what you mean by, by faith. In one of the books that I've been uh, reading in this section, William Grinnell's book, uh, he says there's four types of faith. I want to share those with you because I think it was pretty accurate. Uh, the first one is historical faith. Historical faith is a faith that knows the accuracy of Scripture, would even say it knows the truth of God's Word, but chooses then to put no real faith into it. It's just a historical book that we can read, that we can know, that we can study. It has some good things in it. But I'm not going to sit here and put my actual faith into this. This is a faith that Satan has. Satan himself has historical faith in the demons. James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. 
when we look at Satan, we know that when Satan would go after Jesus and tempt him, how did Satan tempt Jesus? He tempted him even using words of scripture. We always say that, well, Jesus attacked with scripture. Satan attacked Jesus with scripture as well. He knows it. He just doesn't put his faith in it. You can't even say that Satan doesn't believe. Satan believes in God. He got kicked out by God. He knew who Jesus was. But he didn't really have faith in it. And so historical faith is not something good or that we should have. A lot of people, I think, running around today have historical faith. They would say, oh, yeah, the Bible, I'm, I'm cool with that. But they haven't really put their faith in what the Bible is teaching and telling us. There's another type of faith. The second kind is temporary faith. This is a faith that when they put their shield up, they put this shield of faith up and Satan starts to attack them and the darts start hitting it, the shield goes away. The faith disappears. They get quenched by Satan and his darts. This is the faith that Jesus described when he says, you know, they're out planting seeds, some fall here or there, but he talks about the ones that get in with the weeds. And he gets choked out by the world. All of a sudden, the cares and the concerns of the world. And a lot of times when we think of it, at least this is how I've often thought of it uh, growing up, I've often thought of this in a negative way. It's like the burden of the world, the hurts of the world have choked them out. But I, actually what I see too often is the blessings of the world. The nice things of the world. The things that everybody else has in this world that now I'm getting to start having. All of a sudden... What I've seen is more often than not, those are the things that choke people out of true faith in Christ and what that means. I think, as I said, sadly, this is all too common. Church for them or their faith becomes a thing of convenience, becomes a thing of, of comfort. As soon as they really get to know Jesus, they get to know what he's about, what faith in him really looks like, they're out. I mean, it breaks my heart to say, but COVID has proven this in a lot of people's life. They had a temporary faith. It was good. It was convenient. All of a sudden, things got hard. All of a sudden, things got scary. And all of a sudden, my life got comfortable in a different way. It used to be comfortable for me to go to church on Sundays, but now it's not as comfortable because my life changed for two years or three years. And sadly, I think a lot of people have proven that their faith actually was a temporary faith. Well, there's a third type of faith that he talks about in his book, and he labels it a miraculous faith. I want to read a quote because I thought he had a good quote in talking about Judas. He uses Judas as an example of what he means by miraculous faith, and he says, Judas's miraculous faith, which he had with the other apostles, for aught that we can read, enabling him to cast devils out of others, yet left himself possessed of the devil of covetousness, hypocrisy and treason, yea, a whole legion of lusts that hurried him down the hill of despair into the bottomless pit of perdition. Now that should be a scary one, I think, for many of us. If the other ones aren't nerve-wracking enough, when we look at Judas, Iscariot in the Bible, and we see him dining with Jesus, living with Jesus, being with him for his, throughout his ministry, and even, yes, Jesus saying, go and and do these works in my name. And Judas is one of them that did. He went out and did these great miraculous works in the name of Christ. 
saying that he's put his trust in this Jesus and it is in, by his name that demons are going to be out of these people. Judas did this work. But yet in the end, what did we see? We saw that his faith was not a real faith. Oh, it showed some signs of power. But there was no true saving faith at all in Judas. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he calls this Kuwaitism. And I don't know if you guys ever have to study anything and you chase rabbits. I chased this rabbit for two hours. Kuwaitism. I'm like, what is that? I've never heard of that. Next thing I know, I'm studying this guy. And so you're going to hear some of it because I spent two hours on it. <clears throat> but I was curious when he said, he was talking about this similar thing. And he said, this has been tried with Kuwaitism. This guy, Emil Kuwait, he lived back in the 1800s, the early 1900s. But he was a pharmacist. And this is what he found out. He found out that if he gave people medicine that they'd been prescribed, but he was also very positive about the medicine, that the medicine would work better. And so he would let people know as he's handing them their prescriptions, this is going to work. You can believe that this is, gonna, this is exactly what you need. And it got to the point to where he became a psychologist and he believed that just having positive thoughts is what would heal you. Just having positive thoughts is what you needed to, to get through the day. This is really his work led to the placebo effect that many of us have heard about before. But he believed in self-healing. He, he believed in this stuff. Just, just get rid of the negative thoughts out of your life and you will find that you're not going to get sick. You allow yourself to get thick, sick because you think you're going to. This was Kuwaitism. This is what he taught. Well, obviously, back then, even then, the medical community pushed back pretty heavily against this. Because as they went back and did studies on his patients, years and years later, almost all the things that his patients said they'd been cured of, miraculously had come back. Or they had died. They didn't want to actually deal with what the problem was. They just walked around tricking themselves as if they're okay. Now, don't get me wrong. I think having some positive thoughts is a good thing. I'm not trying to speak against that. But sadly today, I think this is how many people treat their faith. And I would label it, you think your faith as a miraculous faith. And I would say it this way. I have enough faith in my faith to get through. And that's what Jesus is going to care about. When I get to heaven, God's going to say, did you have enough faith in your faith to make it? But we don't have faith in our faith. That, that's, not what is a, that's not what is a saving faith. Because then it starts to become about me. About me mustering enough faith in my life. And listen, I've sat by the bedside of enough sick, sick people with a family member there. Trying to tell everybody else in the family, if you would just have enough faith, she would get up. And it's heartbreaking to see. Because if God chooses not to let that person get up, this whole family thinks, what is wrong with us? No, actually what was wrong is that person in your family has a miraculous faith. That it's something you can muster up, that you can build. And this is not the faith that Paul is talking about here with that shield. Because if my shield is, de is determined by how much faith I have as Satan throws those darts, then my shield might as well be Swiss cheese. Because too often, that's when I struggle the most. And so I need faith in something else. And so... The fourth faith that Grinnell talks about, that he says Paul is talking about here, and I agree with him, is a faith called justifying faith. A faith that the Bible speaks of that is 
a justifying faith, a faith that actually saves us, finds us being justified and, and redeemed. Charles Spurgeon says there's three things about justifying faith that is very important. The first is knowledge. Now, I think all of you would agree that we kind of speak highly of that here. We try to as a staff. You need to know the word of God. You cannot put faith in Jesus if you do not know who Jesus is. It's not enough for me to stand up here and say, put your faith in Jesus. Come do it. Your question should be, who is Jesus? And what has he done? What are you talking about? You need to know that, right? That's important. Sadly, a lot of people don't get to that point. But Spurgeon would say knowledge is first and foremost what you need. Second, though, is belief. You need to have the knowledge of who Jesus is, what he has done, about his word, about God's word. But then you have to believe it to be true. But it doesn't stop there. Because this would just be historical faith. There's a third element that's very important. And I would say this is the element that all of us struggle with, probably, on a day-to-day -day basis, Spurgeon says, after knowledge and belief comes resting in it. Actually living in rest by grace through faith of who Jesus is and what he has done and what God's word tells us. And so living a life of hope and of peace and of joy and actually resting in it. I go back to what I said, a, I can't remember, a few weeks ago or a couple months ago. Our faith in Jesus isn't just a probability. Like, well, if it ends up not being true, what have I lost? <laughs> no, that's not justifying faith. That is probability. And as I said last time, I'd say it again. Go play cards if you're good at probability. But this isn't about probability. This is us saying we know who Jesus is and what he has done. We believe it to be true. And I rest everything in him. This is justifying faith. In a book written by Mark Jones, it's kind of like a things to know about the Christian faith, and it's faith, hope, and love. He kind of breaks his book up this way. He has this thing on justifying faith. And he says first and there, he says, God justifies us through our faith. But it's important to remember, but the cause of our justification is the work of Jesus. And so I think this is sometimes where it can get really confusing and where people start to think my faith is what is so important. That my faith is what is gripping on to God. And that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is God is gripping on to you. And the conduit that he uses is faith for that. We even see in the Bible in 1 Corinthians and other places that faith is a gift of God in and of itself. The fact that you can say and actually truly mean, I have faith in Jesus, is a gift that God has given you to be able to do that. It's amazing to think that. But it is. Listen to Romans chapter 3. I don't think it's going to be on the screen because I just added it this morning. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Paul says this way. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received 
by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This whole by grace through faith, it's something I try to say every week. I'm trying to, to pound it into your head. I want it pounded into my head over and over and over again so that I can remind myself in those times when Satan is attacking me and I have my shield of faith up, I'm remembering, Tim, this faith is a gift of God to you through faith. The shield isn't something you've made. This isn't something you've manufactured. It's something God has given you. And I need to be reminded of that, and you do too. And so he says again, just a reminder, God justifies us through our faith, but the cause of our justification is the work of Christ. Secondly, he says justifying faith is enabled by the power that God freely grants to us apart from works. I go back to Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved, what? By grace, right? Not of works so that no man can boast. We have to remember this. So what we see is we're not just machines either. We're not, we're not machines that God just saves. We're not just walking around and God's like, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved, kind of like Oprah. You get a car, you get a car, you get whatever. It's, it doesn't work like that either. There is this faith aspect to it. By grace, free gift of God through faith. Faith also a gift of God, but us saying, fully yours. Fully believe, fully commit. I am yours. I believe wholly in you, solely in you. Mark Jones goes on to say, we're united to Jesus only because he loved us first. And I would say, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear that. Some of you might be in the situation that I mentioned earlier. You have loved ones who are facing illness or sickness. You're facing difficult situations at work, maybe difficult decisions, whatever it might be that you are, that you are going through. And what Satan is doing right now is he's attacking you. He's making you question things about your own faith, saying you are not strong enough. You're not going to make it through this. You don't have the faith, your faith in the right thing or whatever it might be. Hear this this morning. I know it's a very easy verse, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. You're a Christian this morning because God first loved you, not because you first loved him. Not because... You sought after him. Not because you're so glorious and magnificent. No, he loves you first. In the midst of your sin, in the midst of your wretchedness, in the midst of your rebellion, God has chose to love you. And that's such a great gift that he has given us. And so the love of Jesus then enables us to embrace him and love even more. We know that he doesn't let us go. We, we know that he loved us first and he's not gonna get rid of that love for us. And so it just draws us more to him, even when we're struggling. Because by faith, we believe that to be true. The last thing Mark Jones says, he says, acts of faith in Christ, because of justifying faith, are not a one-time thing, but a lifelong thing. I think this is important too. Your justification, you, you're being saved by God's grace. You, you being seen in the eyes of God is completely justified because of the blood of Christ. 
Again, it's a, it's a work that he does, but it's something that is continual in our life. Each and every day, we continue to need that justifying faith. We, we continue to need the grace of God in our life. And I'm sure you've seen this play out in your own life with your own struggles that you have. To be reminded again and again of the, of the goodness of God. This is, this is why many of you like to sing so much. This is why you like, like those songs that, that remind you of what God has done in your life. Why? Because it reminds you again and again that even again today, I need that grace. And so whatever those songs are for you, maybe you sang them out of the hymnal when you were little, or maybe now you hear them on the radio, and it reminds you of this goodness of, of God. This is, this is the, us being reminded and putting our faith hopefully stronger and more so in the blessed grace of God and in his goodness. And this is something that we do daily. This is why we say, be in the word of God daily. Come to church on a regular basis. It's because these are the things that God uses in our life to help our faith grow. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. We've already went over it before. There's reminiscence of it here. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's writing to a church and he's telling them, I want Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith so that you can know him more and more and more. It's not a Come here, kneel, and get saved. Now go. You're good. You're full. It's over. No, it's, I got to continue to be strengthened and, and grow in him. It's an active faith in God and in his promises that we continually get cultivated as we do the things that God has called us to do in order for our faith to be cultivated. That's enough maybe on what faith is. How does this protect us? How can this faith protect us? If, if we're saying, yes, Pastor Tim, it's a, it's a justifying faith. This is what my faith is in. My faith is in Christ. It's in him alone. It's not in my own faith. It's not in any of these other things. My faith is in him. Well, then how does our faith protect us? Well, we're protected by faith because of what our faith is secured in. It's secured in Jesus. It's secured in Jesus Christ and his work and his accomplished work in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. It says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. God is the shield to those who take refuge in him. And this is a promise still for us. Again, we have to be careful. My faith is not in my faith. And so my shield is not my faith. Right? My, my shield actually is God himself. The accomplished work of his son on the cross. And this is a shield that cannot be broken. It is a shield that cannot be taken away from me. It is a shield that gives me complete rest. I can rest behind this shield, this shield of faith, because of what this faith is in. Not because of the power of my faith, but because of what this faith is in. So when we rest our faith in Jesus, we have him as our covering. He's the one, you can picture it, blocking all the darts that Satan can throw our way. And we have total rest and security 
standing behind him. We know that all of his promises are ours. They're made to each of us as his children. And so nothing that Satan does, nothing that anybody else does, nothing you yourself do, the Bible says nothing in Romans chapter eight can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing at all. So this is how faith protects us. It's our faith in him and he protects us. And so Paul goes on, what, is it, what does faith protect us from? Well, he, he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This faith that protects us from the things that we need protected from the most. The battle, if you think about it, I don't know how much you guys like history or watch or anything like that. When I turn anything like that on at home, I get yelled at by everybody in the house. They say it's completely boring. But if you know anything about how militaries have changed over time, it's not like this anymore, but you know, a long time ago, shooting bows and arrows was really important. And they would take their arrow and they would dip it maybe in some tar-like substance and they would wrap it maybe with some sort of cloth and they would light these things on fire and they would shoot these arrows and obviously it would hurt whoever it hit, yes. But the point too was for it to spread. The tar would in essence, fling all over the place on fire and catch other people on fire or their, or their clothes on fire. And it would, it would spread even within the person that it hit because you could take an arrow and not die. If you take a flaming arrow and it catches you on fire, you're in a lot more trouble. This is the picture here that Paul is painting for us that, that Satan does. That, that Satan is, he's not just throwing little problems your way or little issues your way. He's trying his best to throw these fiery arrows at you that are going to completely destroy you, that are going to completely lead you astray. And when you think about it, isn't that exactly how Satan seems to attack us all the time? You think about this. You're minding your own business. Maybe you're sitting at home, finally get to rest in the chair or on the couch, whatever it might be. Maybe you're watching TV then out of nowhere, just a horrible thought crosses your mind. Embarrassing. And you might even be thinking, now why in the world would that cross my mind? That is horrible. I shouldn't think that way. I shouldn't be that way. And maybe you would just say, you know, this is just, this is just some little passing thought. This is just something that I can ignore and, and move on from. But that's not what that is. What that is, is that Satan trying to attack you. And oftentimes, at least, sadly, this has proven true in my life. It doesn't just become a passing thought. Sooner or later, it becomes an action. Or it's something that starts to rob my mind of space and time. To where I'm dwelling on it. And I'm wondering, why am I thinking about this? Or why would that even come into my mind? Or why would that even happen? I'm just trying to enjoy some peace and quiet here, but... Now all these thoughts and these feelings are, are flooding into me. I say sitting on the couch watching TV. Maybe for you it's with a book. For many of you, it's probably with your phone. All of a sudden an ad pops up and you think, oh, it's just a simple little ad. But that ad leads to another thought, which leads to something else. And the next thing you find yourself on a trail on your phone that's embarrassing enough for you to have to clear your history. And you think, oh, it's just whatever. No, it's not whatever. That is Satan's fiery darts being cast at you and it working. It's spreading. 
It's covering you, and you are on fire. What was just a time for you to relax and be calm and quiet now has led to a full-blown battle. It's now a full-blown battle in the midst of your living room or wherever it is. Your kids are gone. Your wife is gone. Whatever it might be, your husband is gone, and you find yourself what was going to be a nap in a fight, in a battle. And what do we do? We've all been there before, but what do we do? This is where Paul says, take hold of your shield of faith and get rid of those darts. You say, but I feel so weak in that moment. Isn't it great that your faith isn't about you? (laughs) You are weak in that moment. I'm weak in that moment. Sometimes when I have to remind myself, Tim, what is your faith in? Is it in how much faith you have? Because right now you're fallen. Or is your faith in the promised truth of the word of God and who Jesus is and what he has done? And so what Paul is urging us to do there is he's reminding us, he's saying, take your shield and lean on to the promises of God. Hold fast to those promises and know they are true. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 to 23 says, let us draw near With a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Again, I'd say this again. This is why songs have such an important place in our life, or at least they should. Good, faithful songs. Because this is times when we could start repeating the lines of those songs, those good, faithful songs. Whatever it might be. Whatever the song is, I wish I could think of one right now, but I can't, or I'd say it to you. But hopefully you think of it. And we remind ourselves, this is true. Oh, Satan is attacking me right now, and I've even fallen short. I've sinned a little bit, but God, I I still know who I am. I am yours. You've adopted me into your family. The, The blood of your son is over me. I've been forgiven of my sin, even this sin I'm struggling with right now. Maybe in the midst of that, you're praying, God, help me to over overcome this. You've told me that you've given me a way to get out of temptation and sin. Maybe you got to throw your phone up against the wall. Maybe you got to go and turn your TV off. Maybe you need to go and instead of taking a nap, go work, get your mind off of it, whatever it might be. But we pray and we just say, God, these are the promises that you have given me. And this is what my faith is in. Don't let Satan trick me right now. And lie to me. God, be to me a shield. See, this isn't just a New Testament thing either. I already read Proverbs, but all the way back in Genesis chapter 15, and the promise to Abraham, right? The covenant that God made with Abraham, and Abraham's having a problem because the kid isn't coming. Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So even with Abraham, God is telling him this truth. I am your shield. Remember, Abraham is struggling. I'm so old. How am I going to have a kid? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's your faith in? It's like God saying, what is your faith in? I am your shield, Abraham. I am the one that can give you rest. He says, your reward will be very great. We must have faith like this, like Abraham, knowing that God is our shield. One of the ways that the 
Roman army would use their shields. Shields were really big, taller than you, wider than you, and there was a reason for it, so that you could hide behind it, and they were very effective. But the Romans, in the way that they would do their military strategy, is they would stand uh, soldiers shoulder to shoulder, sometimes for miles, with their shields in front of them. That was a very intimidating thing for the enemy to see. The enemy would look in that, and they would see no way to get through. They're completely covered. They're completely protected. And it wasn't behind some wall or some castle that we could surround. No, it's they can move. They can actually then fight back. And so they would do this with great success throughout the Roman Empire, aligning themselves in this formation side by side. And what it does is I'm not just protecting myself, but I'm I'm protecting my partner next to me. He's protecting me. And so on and so forth, all the way down the line. Well, I read to you earlier, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 23. It said, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. But Hebrews goes on to say this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, when we're talking about fighting Satan and holding our shield, I I am willing to bet most of you picture in your head you all by yourself with Satan fighting, nobody else around, and you holding that shield, fighting him off. That's probably how you've pictured it most of your life. That's how I've pictured it. That's how I've seen it in every single book I've ever seen that has drawn some picture of this taking place and happening. But this is not the picture that we have. Church member, you're not alone in this fight. We actually come together, shields in hand, and we are supposed to stand side by side. Yes, I'm trying to protect myself, but I'm also trying to protect you. And you should be trying to protect me. And we care for each other. And how do we do that? We reassure ourselves over and over again of what our faith is in. Of who our faith is in and what he has done. One of the saddest things about church members is when you think you can do it on your own. Or when you talk to people, you know, and you're like, how are things going? I'm great. Sometimes that's the most discouraging thing you could ever say to somebody. I'm doing great. Man, he's always doing great. I'm always doing bad. But he's always doing great. So I can't really talk to him much. Now, I'm not asking for a pity party out in the hallway. You know, I'm not asking for us to all be bawling our eyes out in here about how wretched we are and sinful we are. But sometimes we just have to be honest and real with each other. I'm saying, if I'm being honest with you, today Satan hit me right between the eyes. And it felt like it spread like crazy. And I had to remind myself of of God's word. And you know what was awesome is at that time, I had a church member text me and just remind me, just a scripture passage. And God used that in my life. Maybe you've had that happen to you before. At just the right time, I got a card or a letter from somebody saying, keep up the good work. Remember why you do what you do. Remember what your faith is in. 
And this is the thing that we do together. This is how we stir up one another to love and good works. We, we encourage each other, but we don't lie to each other. We don't come alongside and say, you know what? You really are just a great parent. Your kids are just a disaster. That's on them. That's a lie. We come along these parents and we say, I messed up a bunch too. But by the grace of God, we keep pushing forward. Why? Because we want to see our kids come to know the love that God has provided for them in Jesus. Keep fighting the good fight, brother and sister. Keep doing your best to parent them well. Keep loving on those children. Keep only sleeping two hours a night. It's worth it. Keep fighting. Keep going. Keep doing. This is what we need from each other. But we can't do that for each other unless we're with each other. That's why in Hebrews it says, make sure you're getting together often. Already early on in the church, people weren't coming to church. It happened right off the bat. He's saying, we don't tell you just to come to church so our numbers can be big. We tell you to come to church because we need each other. I need to remind you about the faith, about your faith, what it is supposed to be in. And I need you to be doing that to each other. I need you to be reminding me about that. I need you to be spurring me on when you see, man, Pastor Tim looks down. Guess what? I probably am. Help me out. Right? Help, help a brother out. And I should be doing the same for you. Because God has given us each other. Why? So that we can fight in these fights. I've tried to remind us all as we've talked about this armor. And this is the truth. Satan himself knows he is fighting a war he has already lost. He's fighting a war he's already lost. And if you have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, these battles that you find yourself engaged in that seem to come up over and over and over again, I want to remind you our battles. It's not the war. Jesus has won the war and he cried out, it is finished on the cross. It is over Satan threw everything he had at Jesus, even death, but death could not hold him. And as a Christian, you, your life is in Christ. And so Satan can do whatever he wants to do, but he cannot rip you from the grip of your loving father. He can't change your last name. You've been adopted into his family and you bear the name of the great I am. And Satan can't take that from you. He cannot remove it from you. It is who you are. And it's because God has chosen you. And it's because you have put your faith and trust in him. Now there are some of you here this morning though, but that's, that's not your story. When I talk about standing side by side with brothers and sisters, listen, you're not a part of this army because you've never truly put your faith in Jesus. For some of you, you just have a historical faith. I know the Bible. I've heard about Jesus. I'm not too into it. For some of you, it's a different kind of faith. Maybe it's been a temporary faith and you know that in your life. It hasn't been real at all. Too often the world just takes you away. Or maybe your faith for a long time has been in your faith. And you are sick and tired of putting faith in your faith. I know I would be. Because it just seems like you can't muster it up anymore. 
I would urge you this morning to put your faith in Christ instead of these other things. Trust in him for the forgiveness of your sin. Trust in his accomplished work on the cross, in the grave, and in his resurrection, and now in his ascension. Holy in him. It's not some magical thing. It's the truth of God's word by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. I don't know what this has to do with my sermon, but I was listening to a sermon this morning in my office and the pastor was preaching and he was quoting somebody and the guy he was quoting said, you know, if I was, if I was in a room and I could hear through the walls and the other room was Jesus and I heard Jesus was sitting there praying and he said my name. Father, be with Tim today as he goes to do these things. Do you know what that would well up inside of me? Do you think when you walked out of that room, you would be scared of anything? I mean, you have Jesus himself. You know he is there and you're like, he prayed for me. I am ready to go and knock down some walls for him. Is that not true? Is that not true? But then the guy said, what is some distance? Why does distance make a difference? At this very moment, Christian, the Bible tells us Jesus is interceding on your behalf to the Father, speaking to him your name. Your name. Saying today, insert your name to continue to have faith in me and not in something else. Continue to hold them secure. Continue to help them to see that victory is theirs because of my accomplished work, not because of theirs. Continue to spur them on to good works. Continue to bless them, to shower them with your love, to help them to have peace, to joy, to help them to have rest and comfort today. This is the prayer that you are given every single day by Jesus to the Father. But yet we make a little distance make a difference. Paul says we are battling a spiritual enemy and a spiritual realm that we don't see with our eyes, but we feel it physically. We know it's going on. But in that battle, Jesus is there. He's the conqueror, he's the king, he's the savior, he's the sustainer. And he's the one who continues to pray for you to the Father, saying, keep them going, keep them going. And so let us be faithful to the things he's called us to. Let us not neglect getting together. Let us make sure we stir up each other to love and to good works, not to envy and to strife, which is what we normally do to each other. Try to bear burdens. Let's try to care for another, each other. And let's do it as we honor the Lord together. Let's bow together. Let's pray. I want to give you a time to respond to the word of God. You can do that as I pray, but also as we sing a last song here in a moment. But however it may be that God is speaking to you through his word, and I hope and trust that he was, I hope that you'll respond accordingly this morning. God, help our faith to be in Jesus, the one who justifies, the one who saves. God, so often in our lives, you know, our faith seems to waver. We struggle with doubt. We struggle with insecurities. We struggle with jealousy. We struggle with all different sorts of things. 
God, that's why I'm so thankful today that I am not saved because of Tim's great faith, but I'm saved because of your great grace through faith. And so, God, I pray that you would remind us of that this morning. God, I pray for those people here today who do not know you in that way. They, they have never been saved by your grace. God, I pray that you would do that this morning in their life. Help them to see that there is nothing in this world worth more than the blood of Jesus. God, help them to know that truth. Help them to see the love that you have for them and to respond in faith to what Jesus has done. God, for those of us here this morning, we've been Christians, who knows how long. God, help us to never get lackadaisical in our battles with Satan. Help us to take that shield of faith and to strengthen it. Help us to be in your word. Help us to be together, standing side by side, fighting these battles together. God, we need every single day to grow. God, we also know that you're the one that makes us grow. You are the vine, we are the branches. So help us to always be centered on the vine. And God, we do pray that we would see fruit in our life, that we would see blessings and evidences, of course. But God, when maybe we're not seeing enough, help us not to be putting our faith in those blessings and that fruit, but to make sure our faith is in Jesus and his work. God, this morning as we sing this last song, I pray that we would worship you that we would praise you in it, and that you would be honored and glorified in all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.